Welcome to this episode of the For the Kingdom, Not the Brand podcast. And in this episode, or sorry, in this segment of theology, uh, theology tidbits, I want to talk about the topic of predestination, uh, which, oh no, I just said a scary word. Uh, you know, this is honestly a way more hotly debated topic than it should be. Um, and some of us may be tempted to think that this is just another secondary issue that can be put in the back burner, uh, that doesn't matter, and that we should just love God and people with the gospel. But I want to really exhort anyone who has reservations like that to truly think upon this doctrine. This is not a secondary doctrine made only for, for I don't know, professional theologians or pastors to think about and write long essays over. No, this is a vital doctrine that brings us assurance of our salvation and subsequently bring us even further to be strengthened in our faith through a higher view of God and His power. And we need to submit to this truth. And here is what I've noticed in the, in the wrestling of this doctrine for many people. Um, um, it isn't ultimately that they want to believe in, uh, in the doctrine of predestination or, 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 uh, God's election or choosing of his redeemed people. That is just the action portion of that, if you will. No, the true heart posture, the true motive behind that, it's founded in not wanting to trust in God's sovereignty and providence and a false belief that he shows partiality in his election and and also perhaps a false idea of how people are truly saved. God chooses us first and ultimately he is the deciding factor in our uh, salvation. Salvation does not occur by some sense by some sense of decisionism. It certainly has a decision to follow follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is certainly a call for that in Scripture. But it takes a miraculous work of Almighty God to turn a walking mass of dead flesh into a living being that is responsive to Him and His nature and His truth. In my previous segment of Theology Tidbits, I showed how in the order of salvation, regeneration precedes faith. And here's a truth that I've uh, gone back to over and over again as I've thought about God saving me and who I was before I met the Lord. The only question I can ever have in my mind is, why me? Out of all the generations in my family who, who were outright pagans, idolaters, uh, pantheists, and, uh, and various other kinds of belief systems, why me? Why did God choose some random bozo like me to work out his plan on earth? I still don't know the answer to that fully, but I trust God that it is for His highest glory and my highest good. A brief, um, I think a very brief synopsis of how I came to, to the biblical view of predestination or election is that, um, oh man, uh, it started more or less because I was curious if a Christian could lose their uh, uh, salvation. And honestly, the short answer is no. Um, I personally don't like to use the phrase once saved, always saved, because oftentimes people associate that with the idea that someone can make a decision to follow Christ and then they, then, and then easily for the rest of their life, they can live like a demon. Although all, all of a sudden it's okay because they have their get out of hell free card. I prefer to say if saved, truly and always saved. 
it is predicated on God's regenerating work in the life of a believer, in that the believer does not only have a new relationship with God, but a new relationship with sin. He holds every believer in his hand, God, and and nothing can snatch them out of his hand. And Dr. Fred uh, Zaspel uh, defines and summarizes predestination like this. And also keep in mind, for the sake of this episode, I will be using the terms predestination and election interchangeably. The doctrine of election states that God chose whom he would save, that God's choice precedes any consideration of faith. And Dr. Zaspel also uh, very, very, very concisely explains the theological context of predestination and or election as well. Uh, He says that God shows whom he would save is a common theme in scripture. God's eternal eternal decree is all-encompassing, and salvation likewise is according to his own gracious purpose. Um, And it's shown in Acts 13, verse 48, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 11, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Those whom God saves are those whom he chose to save, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, and, and even, sec, even 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, and so on. This, in brief, is the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election traces the quote-unquote decision to save back to God himself in eternity past and affirms that he, not man, determined who will be saved, as it is shown in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Scripture affirms often that God's sovereign rule is universal and that his predestinating decree is all-inclusive. Election to salvation is one aspect or, or, or dimension of that all-inclusive decree. God has predestined us according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the power of his or to, or, sorry, according to the counsel of his will, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Being a narrower, a narrower aspect of God's eternal all-inclusive decree, predestination, election may be considered a subset of theology proper or the doctrine of God. However, in terms of its actual or biblical exposition, it may be considered a subset of soteriology. And it is, after all, election to, to, to salvation, as it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Theologians often helpfully categorize the various aspects of salvation as salvation planned, accomplished, and applied. Election is salvation planned. In this plan, God the Father chose whom he would save and sent his Son to save them. As it says, or is shown in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. Those who were chosen are also described as given to the Son in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10 and John chapter 17. And as his sheep whom he came to save, as it is also shown in John chapter 10. Indeed, indeed, it is because they electively belong to Christ that they hear his voice and inevitably come to him when he calls. That is to say, our coming to faith in Christ for salvation was not an accident, and it it did not stem merely from our own choice. It is the outworking of God's own purpose from eternity. It was God's to choose or elect whom he would save. 
And as we go further in Dr. Zaspel's article, he he also shows why God needs to elect and predestine uh, people for salvation. And he also addresses uh, some of the falsely uh, perceived contradictions of this vital doctrine. Um, he, uh, he says, Many passages of Scripture affirm that election to salvation pertains not only to the church corporately, but to each individual believer. For example, the or in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for for example the apostle paul traces the the uh, he traces the believers salvation back to its ultimate source in god those who are saved are those who actually believe those who believe are those who are called and those who are called are those who who are chosen and this so that will and this so that all will know that it is god alone who saves as it's shown throughout that chapter and ending in verse uh, 31 of that chapter. The significance of this passage goes further, however. Here the Apostle Paul uh, uh, presents this doctrine against the backdrop of both divine sovereignty and of human and of human uh, depravity and, and enslavement to sin. He belabors the point that the gospel that saves is a message that the world thinks is foolish, as it's shown in verses 18 through 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 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter one. The very message that could save them, they despise. The problem is not that the gospel is difficult to understand. If that were the case, then even the world's greats would believe and the rest of us would never be able to grasp it. But the general makeup of the church, with its overwhelmingly or its overwhelming majority of comparative nobodies, demonstrates that salvation is not due to any kind of human ingenuity or insight, but to divine initiative and intervention in verses 26 through 29. God alone has determined who will be saved, and as a result, all glory goes to him for it in verses 29 through 31. Still, it remains that to the natural mind, the gospel is foolishness, unworthy of, accept or unworthy of acceptance. That is how the natural mind sees it. The natural mind fails to perceive the gospel, enslaved to sin, it cannot understand. As it's shown in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, verse uh, 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 14. Sin so clouds the human mind that it fails to see the glory of Christ or its own need of Him. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, that for they are folly to him, and and he is not able to understand them because they are and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That is why Jesus could could exclaim to the Jews of his days, who 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 ultimately refused him, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In John chapter 5, verse uh, 44. Indeed, he can say that the human mind is so darkened by sin that it cannot rightly assess the gospel. And it's even shown in John chapter 8, verse uh, 45, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. The, the, um, Paul insists on the same, quote, the mind that is set on the flesh is, host is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, as it is shown in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. 
This blinding enslavement to sin renders any notion of human initiative in salvation impossible. The choice of salvation necessarily resides with God, for in our natural unenlightened state we cannot see in order to actually believe. Salvation must trace back to God's choice of us, for otherwise we would never have chosen Him. As it's shown in Psalms uh, 14 verses 1-3, through 3, and, and there's also John at ch- chapter 15 verse... Uh, uh, John chapter 15 verse 16 this consideration of the blinding effects of human depravity is a necessary corrective to a common mischaracterization of election scripture nowhere allows the notion that some who may have wanted to be saved were also refused humanity's unbelief and rejection of God is unanimous indeed it is this that renders God's sovereign choice necessary had he not chosen all would be lost all this serves to an- answer the question of the ground of, of divine election. On the negative side, God did not choose, as some attempt to argue, on the basis of a foreseen faith. That would be impossible because of human depravity and the world's otherwise unanimous rejection of him. It would also be entirely out of keeping for, quote, the one who works all things according to his will, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Salvation here is said to be no exception. God is not contingent, and in all his redemptive activity, he takes the initiative. God favors some with salvation and also withholds it from others, according as it so pleased him, as it's shown in Matthew 11, verses 25 through 26. He chose in love and according to his wise uh, purpose, and not because of any... And not because of any considerations in the elect uh, themselves. Moreover, election is according to grace, and thus finds its reasons in God alone. God shows us, quote, to the praise of his glorious grace, as it's shown in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. This goal was his own exclusive praise. Again, this is why God did not choose many of the world's elite. It would in that case seem that salvation had something to do with personal attainment, and this was a notion God was concerning to exclude. Thus, in the main, God bypassed them and instead chose others. He was determined to save only in such a way that he receives all the credit for it. On the positive side, just why God chose whom he would choose and passed over others is left to mystery. Here the door here the door of the door of revelation is closed. We are left only to worship him for it. We are told only that the basis of his choice was his own good pleasure and that he saves and withholds salvation accordingly. Election is according to grace and its reasons are found in God alone. And I want to close this episode with some of the beautiful truths that we can find and also apply in our faith from Dr. Jeff Robinson of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he points out a handful of beautiful truths about the doctrine of predestination. One, God is meticulously writing the story of history according to his own script. Though, though we speak of accidents, really there, is no, there are no accidents. Nothing will take place today that hasn't been carefully planned in, in eternity past by an all-powerful and good creator. Two, God loves sinners. We should never get over the stunning reality of this statement. Though we have rebelled against him, God sent his only son to die in the place of sinners to rescue them from sin and death. Christ, who was not guilty, laid down his life for the guilty. He bore the wrath we deserve. 3. God uses means to achieve his ends. 
our Lord selects weak clay pots and sends them to the ends of the earth to preach the good news of his rescue mission in Christ. He gives fallen men the unconscionable privilege of proclaiming his sin-laying, death-defeating gospel. And for God's glory is ultimate, not man's. The outset of the Westminster Shorter Catechism famously marks out the chief end of man to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. God made us for his glory. Every pursuit in life is to be done with an eye to the spread of his fame. Predestination also says, says something important about us. Apart from a unilateral work of grace, we cannot please God. We are dead in our sins, and dead men can do nothing, as it's shown in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ignore predestination to our own spiritual malnourishment. And, well, I, I don't really know. I don't really know how to end the episode beyond that. So thank you for listening to this episode of Theology Tidbits, and I hope that this episode was helpful for you in your faith walk as you grow in the knowledge of God in all of his, in all of his attributes and his glory. Please leave a review on uh, Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.